Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of the SQ Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Sales. So today, we're going to talk about a lot of the NBA draft stuff. Um, I should clarify beforehand that I don't actually know anything about like any of these prospects because there's not a lot of opportunity for me to watch college basketball this past season for fairly obvious reasons. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. The only guy that I watched play any basketball in the top 15 was Cole Anthony. And that's basically it. So I'm not going to talk about the prospects very much. And from my, it's my understanding that this was not a particularly hyped up draft anyways, compared to drafts like the last two years, stuff like that. Um, so I won't waste anybody's time talking about something that I don't know about. And frankly, people don't seem to be as jazzed about as they usually are. So there's a bunch of trades that I'm going to get into today because um, there were a bunch of trades, um, not necessarily all yesterday, but I think a lot of them were fairly significant. So we will get into those in short order. So I think I'm going to do these relatively chronologically uh, just for peace of mind's sake. And that's how I broke them down. So why not? Order doesn't matter. So I'll start off with the CP3 trade. So Chris Paul goes to the Suns. For it was Chris Paul and Abdel Nader for Ty Jerome, Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre Jr., and a 2020 first round pick. 2020 first round pick. Um, so I guess I'll start with OKC just because it's easier. Um, I think this is a pretty good deal for OKC. Um, obviously, we've talked about Chris Paul's podcast on this, not Chris Paul's podcast, Chris Paul's contract on this podcast before. And it's not exactly ideal for a guy who doesn't have a track record of staying healthy and is 37, maybe 38, I think, at this point in his career. Um, so the fact that they were able to get assets for him is pretty good, right? I mean, obviously, they are they are very much in the thunder on accumulating first-round picks. Um, I feel like I'm going to repeat this like four times throughout the thing today, but they now have 17 first-round picks over the next seven years. That's pretty good. That's uh, that, that's how you rebuild the team, certainly. Um, yeah, so Chris Paul's contract here is this season he's making $41 million, and next year he's making $44 million. Um, and again, if you're OKC, like that's just kind of unnecessary to have, especially when you're not trying to be competitive or anything like you were last year. Um, and this certainly lets them reset around Shea, um, let him do his thing, and then... <clears throat> uh, figure everything out from there. So again, good stuff for OKC. Uh, I like the, the Kelly Oubre thing. I like a lot actually, just because he's up for a new deal after next year and he'll cost a little bit of change. Um, and this will give them the, the year to kind of test him out, see how he fits with their team. And then if they want to give him an offer, um, they can do that. So yeah, I, I like this move for OKC. Um, again, it's, it's incredible. They managed to flip Russell Westbrook, for essentially, I think it was like four first round picks and Kelly Oubre. Like that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good return for Russell Westbrook. Um, yeah. So good stuff for OKC. Uh, so onto the sun side, cause I, I'm very interested by this. You know, I I've been kind of a, I've been a Devin Booker apologist, I guess I would say for the last couple of years. Um, and I think this is something that can finally put them over the top and make them like legitimately, players in the Western playoffs. Um, 
He's obviously better than Ricky Rubio. Um, if you're the Suns, I don't see why you wouldn't give up Ricky Rubio if you're getting Chris Paul in return. Uh, obviously, you know, th- this is a bit of a risk for them. Um, you you th- you don't have any guarantee that he's going to be healthy, uh, certainly year to year. Obviously, he was good last year in terms of availability, but, you know, he hasn't been like that the last couple of years. And he's old. Like <laughs> like we said, he's old and he could very much fall off at any point in time. Oh, no, he he's 35. I, I'm sorry, Chris Paul. I, I don't know why I called you 37. Um. God, I am just losing my train of thought today. But I think this is a risk you have to take if you're the Suns. I mean, in, I'll get to this, I guess, a little bit later with the Harden thing but and and Giannis. But I guess the reality in the NBA is you need to do everything possible to cater to your superstars and make them feel comfortable. Otherwise, they will leave, and then you don't have many options. And doing something like this, I would imagine, tells a guy like Devin Booker, like, we are committed to this, and we want to win with you, yada, yada, all the other nonsense that, ugh, whatever. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> um, so, again, I think you have to do this. And it, it's not the worst thing in the world because his contract is up uh, for the 2022 season, and I think that's the year you would start paying DeAndre Aiden. Maybe, maybe it's the year after I'd have to check that again. But at the very least, while you are paying Chris Paul, you are not also paying DeAndre Aiden a ton of money, which is so that's good. Like, it, it's not like a crippling move by them if it doesn't work out. Now, from a basketball perspective, I think this is a wonderful trade for the Suns. You give up a first round pick and Kelly Oubre, who you weren't going to keep after next year anyways, because you weren't going to have probably the cap space to do so um, for Chris Paul. And if Chris Paul is Chris Paul, the domino effect on this team is tremendous. Uh, obviously he's a good perimeter defender who compliments, eh, not necessarily compliments, but make sure that your backfield is, n- is not a complete. I feel like there's a disservice to Ricky Rubio though, because he plays some decent defense, but yeah, Chris Paul is obviously a, a different tier defender on the perimeter than Ricky Rubio is. And so that helps obviously. And then you have just his control of the offense in general. It takes so much pressure off of Devin Booker. I mean, I, Devin Booker deserves all the credit in the world for developing as the into the passer that he is now. I think he's been averaging six or seven assists the last two years or so. And again, that's that's really impressive considering what he was when he came into the league. But Chris Paul's much better uh, ball handling and passing the ball than Devin Booker is. And I think that's that's for the best. I mean, it'll make the offense as a whole run better. And now he, it's also going to be able to set Devin Booker up because Chris Paul is going to be able to open up shots and lanes for Devin Booker in ways that he hasn't had before. Because, I mean, who who is the best secondary playmaker that the Suns have had since Devin Booker? I mean, it is Rubio, but, I mean, other than that, is it uh, Tyler Eulis? I, I don't think so. But, I mean, th- that's about the quality that we're looking at there. So Devin Booker is uniquely in a position where he's still going to be the number one scoring option, but theoretically things are going to be even easier for him than they have been the last few years when he's averaged 26 points a game. Uh, Not to mention DeAndre Ayton becomes just ridiculously terrifying in a pick and roll with Chris Paul. Like there are ways that Chris Paul is going to be able to feed the ball to DeAndre Ayton at the rim that are just obscene. I mean, we saw what Chris Paul and Clint Capella could do. And DeAndre Ayton is much more versatile offensively than Clint Capella. Um, that could be something that's really, really worth watching, seeing how their rapport pans out as the season goes on. 
there's just they've got a lot of really good stuff going on on this roster right now. Um, he fits really well, and they still have they can bring back Sarich, and oh god, I'm I'm blanking on this other guy, but I th- I still think they probably need another scoring wing or two. Oh, and Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges is awesome. They're starting they're starting five of Sarich, Aiton, Booker. Mikael Bridges and Chris Paul. That's a very, very good starting lineup. And they have their mid-level exception with them still. And I believe they have uh, another type of exception. They can still get a guy like Danilo Gallinari or, um, Oh God, I'm I gotta start writing stuff down better, but like a guy like Danilo Gallinari could take this team to an extra level potentially. Um, this team, it looks really good. I mean, they've got creators from a, a couple different spots. Um, they've got pretty good defensive uh, stuff going on. I, I think a lot of that depends on if DeAndre Aiden is going to consistently be the defender that he can be. Uh, obviously, that's no guarantee. I mean, we've seen that play out with Cat, but the potential is there. And if that works, that that also adds a whole other level to them. Like, I would honestly expect, I, I think Phoenix can now be expected to be right around like a a four seed. Like I think they can, they can get home field advantage in the playoffs. I legitimately think that like if Devin Booker continues to play the way he has, and this team kind of carries over any momentum they had from the bubble, I just, it's a good team. It's a good young team with a leader in Chris Paul that works out really, really well. Um, and there's certainly room for them to move up in the playoffs now. I mean, obviously I think OKC is kind of taking themselves out of it. Uh, not what's the word I'm looking for uh, with dignity. They've, they've bowed out of the playoffs this year. Um, and nothing's happened yet, but I have not seemingly heard anything that makes it sound like the Rockets are going to keep the roster as is for much longer. So they may be out of the playoffs here too. There, like, there's at least one spot for Phoenix to slot in here. Um, I would have said the other team that could have slotted in that probably still will is Golden State, but they're not going to be, uh, as good as I thought they were given the Clay Thompson news. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the Suns, God, when was that? That would have been three years ago now that, no, not three years, two years ago that Austin and I talked about on, I I think it was our very first podcast, how we thought the Phoenix Suns had a really bright future ahead for them. And we got laughed at deservedly so, because they sucked for the next two years after that. But here we are coming into the third season since we made that little prediction there. And it's, it's finally coming true. So we were just a little late but we got there. So thank you, Phoenix for eventually making me not look like an idiot. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, next up. So that's a Chris Paul trade. Good for both sides. I think. So next I can go to the drew holiday trade, I suppose. Um, so the trade ended up being, let me pull it up here. Sorry. Is drew holiday to the Bucks in return. The Pelicans get, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, a 2020 first round pick, which was ended up being 24, a 2024 pick swap, a 2025 first round pick, a 2026 pick swap, and a 2027 first round pick. So, uh, where to start with this one? Okay, here's what I would say. I have I have pounded the table for Drew Holiday being the most underrated player in the league for the last three ever since that Portland series, probably. So that was what three years ago. Oh, sorry about that. My throat's so dry. Um, so it's it's been three years since 
Drew Holiday kind of exploded onto the scene there. Not, not people knew who he was, obviously, but like he he really just took Dame down a notch. And I feel like ever since then he still hasn't really gotten his due. To no fault of his own, I would say. Um, but as much as I love Drew Holiday, I wouldn't even try and argue that he is worth two solid rotation guys and five first round pick equivalents. Like, obviously, that's that's frankly a little ridiculous. But at the end of the day, this is the cost of doing business for Milwaukee. Uh, if you are a team like Milwaukee in a relatively small market and you're going to be picking relatively high or in the middle most of your uh, years, you're just not going to get very many chances to get a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo. They got lucky that they have him. And if he were to leave, that would be particularly devastating for them. And if you are the Bucs, I, I understand this, you have to do everything possible to make sure Giannis is willing to stay. And again, I don't like to do the whole conjecture with like, oh, what does this player want? What are they motivated by? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I hate it. I hate it. But all you hear is that Giannis wants to win. And if Giannis feels like they are doing everything they can to help him win, then he'll stay. And that's definitely what this move shows. Like they are all in on right now with the roster they have right now. And Drew Holiday makes him a lot better. Um, he's obviously a much better shot creator than Eric Bledsoe is. Um, he's a comparable defender, like at Bledsoe's best, I would say Holiday's probably more consistent. And most importantly, Drew Holiday does not consistently crap the bed in the playoffs when they need him most. This has now happened with Eric Bledsoe happened two years in a row. And then he had his moments against Boston this year where he looked amazing defensively. And then he had other moments where he looked like Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs. Um, so, and obviously Drew Holiday is much more consistent with that and is willing to pass the ball a little bit more, like works in an offense more. Um, and then George Hill is good. Obviously he's, he's very good, a good shooter and everything, but he's not like a, he's not a guy that you aren't willing to give up for Drew Holiday when you have the chance to do so. Um, I, so I really like the fit here with the Bucks. It's an, it's another guy for if Giannis runs into trouble against, you know, whatever kind of weird defensive formation teams throw at him, you now have Chris Middleton, Andrew Holiday to help you out there, take the pressure off him a little bit. And obviously Chris Middleton has done well in that role, but is sometimes a little underqualified to do everything that is asked of him. So I really like this for Milwaukee, just in a vacuum. Well, in a vacuum, I don't like it, but we don't live in a vacuum. This is something you have to do if you're Milwaukee. So it makes sense. I get it. Good for them. Uh, on the New Orleans side, I, I guess it's not terribly surprising. I think you'd obviously prefer to have Drew Holiday than not. But as we've already said, this is like a gross overpay for Drew Holiday. And if you're offered this, you got to take it, right? Um, and obviously, it's more much more likely that Giannis stays after this move. But if Giannis, for whatever reason, leaves some of these picks become enticing. Now, obviously, the they're still like three years out, so potentially the Bucks could figure something out by the time these picks roll around. But obviously, having an extra first-round pick or a better pick four years in a row, that that's not bad. And even if they're, they're, they're willing to take a step back more and let the young guys kind of take over, you still have Eric Bledsoe and George Hill to add to your rotation, who are pretty solid. Uh, I think George Hill... George Hill actually would have worked out really, really well in Gentry's offense last year. 
uh, with the run and gun, all that. So like really fast paced stuff, just jacking up threes all the time. That would have been interesting to see him in. Uh, I guess I'd like to see Stan Van Gundy's system and see how he can fit into there. Eric Bledsoe makes sense too, because obviously a lot of these guys have struggled with uh, defense on the uh, Pelicans, particularly, you know, the non Lonzo young guys. So having a guy like Eric Bledsoe to play a similar defensive presence to Drew Holiday helps kind of bridge that gap a little bit as everyone's still figuring it out. So I like this trade for both sides too. I, I really don't think this is that bad. Um, I wish I could have talked about the, uh, what's his name? Bo- uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich trade, but it sounds like that's not happening anymore, which I, I guess if you're, it confuses me. It confused me a little bit just because, um, what a, um, because Bogdan Bogdanovich is a very good player who has won at essentially every level of overseas basketball that he's played. He's made a lot of really good shots, um, with the Kings, like a lot of game winners and whatnot. Like he's very much not afraid to, uh, he, he doesn't shy away from the moment or anything. And he fits really well with that offense. He's a great shooter. And again, he's another shot creator that can be deferred to when uh, when it would be necessary for the Bucks. But so anyways, he's very good and it would fit that offense well. And all they got really was Dante DiVincenzo for him. Like that, that seems a little weird to me that it was that and like a second round pick and DJ Wilson and was it Sterling Brown? that was it. That was kind of weird. Like, I guess if I was a Kings fan, I don't know if I would have been okay with that. Um, but now I guess that's not happening because Bogdan never agreed to join the Bucks. So, and because it was a sign in trade, he doesn't have to agree to that. So he'll be in restricted free agency. Now, now the Bucks, I guess, could try and sign him through that. But, um, so it's, it's a very interesting, very, very interesting thing. Uh, if they got Bogdan, I would have said that this Bucks team was, I mean, this Bucks team is still really good even without him plus Drew Holiday, but if they had him and your starting lineup becomes Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Bogdan, and Drew Holiday, I mean, holy crap, that's, that's a phenomenal starting five. Um, even without him, they'll be fine. I'm not really worried about it. I'm sure they'll find a way to bridge the gap. And um, yeah, so it's just very, very weird. Uh very weird. I guess we'll see how it plays out. Free agency is coming up in the next few weeks. So we'll see where he goes then, I guess. So anyways, moving on. Um, then we have, let's see, we have Covington, Philly trades. Uh, all right. I'm actually going to stop this here so I can break this up nicely. You can hear a word from our sponsors and then we'll get back with the Covington trade and all of the Philadelphia trades. All right, and we're back here with the Robert Covington trade. I'll start off with that. Um, and now this gets them. Portland gets Robert Covington in exchange for Trevor Ariza, a 2020 first-round pick, and a 2021 protected first-round pick. Uh, for Houston, this is pretty good. Um, in general, you know, I've been pretty hypocritical. Not hypocritical. I've been pretty critical of the Russell Westbrook trade. And, again, if things are going the way they look to be going and Houston is kind of a house of cards at this point. It's good for them to get these assets that they can in the event that everything starts crumbling down around them. Cause obviously if your entire team is uh, imploding, you don't want all of your picks to be tied up in OKC because you traded them for Russell Westbrook. So good for them to get these assets while they can and try and 
somehow revitalize the roster in the event that that's necessary. Um, but that's not really the biggest thing for this trade. I mean, I, for Portland, this is an uh, awesome trade. Um, Covington still has pretty good value. I think he still has another year or two left on his contract that he's at like, what, 11 million a year? Like, that's very solid for a guy that can do what he does. Um, he is one of those high-impact wing defenders that they've been missing for a very long time. Uh, obviously, Gary Trent is a good start to that, and now you add Covington. That's a, that's a very, very good defensive duo combined with Nurkic in there. Um, and obviously, offensively, he fits what those guys want to do, too. He's another outlet for for all of those guys that love passing the ball. Um, I think, obviously, they still need their young guys, Simon and uh, Little, to step up a little bit to provide some off-the-bench scoring and everything. But these guys look promising. And, and you know, normally I'm all for my annual uh, let's predict the Blazers to not make the playoffs because this is the year. And then they make it every single year and make me look like a fool. Uh, and I'm not going to do that this year because... Again, I, I think they actually they look like a good team this year, providing everyone stays healthy and whatnot. So this is good for them. I really like this. And not for nothing. I guess they they can do. I mean, Covington at least proved in uh, Houston that he can play center for a reasonable amount of minutes and it works. Um, maybe you can't do that as much outside of the Maury D'Antoni system with James Harden. Maybe you know, that's kind of a one-off thing, but I think it's worth trying. Just do something new if you ever need to give Nurkic some rest. So that's something I'd actually want to look out for too. So this is a really neat trade for Portland. I'm curious to see how he does there. All right. So I guess we can finish off with the, I guess I'll save the Philly trades for last. Just really quickly, uh, the Dennis Schroeder trade, uh, what the Lakers gave up Danny Green and a first round pick for Schroeder. I really, really like this deal for the Lakers, unfortunately. Um, Schroeder should theoretically be like a more consistent version of playoff Rondo, like in the regular season for the Lakers. Um, and for, I like that they're willing to be aggressive with stuff like this as a, if you are a, a title defender or you're trying to keep something going, I don't think you can never really excuse like just running it back with the exact same guys. I think like switching things up just a little bit to keep things fresh is good. Like it keeps guys more motivated to work and everything like and it's like a different, a little different energy. Like you can respond to things better. I like when teams are not satisfied with what they are and they're still pushing to be better. And I, so I like this move for the Lakers a lot. Um, he can all, you know, take the pressure off of LeBron in the regular season if he needs to, um, just gives them another playmaking option. Uh, and again, if you don't want to sign Rondo back, you've got Schroeder right now. So this is good for them. And, you know, I already talked about the Thunder. I don't really know what else there's to say about them. Just accumulating, uh, accumulating those picks. Uh, yeah. All right. So Philly, we've got Al Horford going to OKC for Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson. And the Sixers also gave up uh, the rights to an international dude named uh, Vasilijay uh, Micic, a 2020 second round pick and a 2025 first round pick. And I think that I think Daryl Morey actually did a really good job with this. Uh, obviously, Al Horford just would is not a good fit on the Sixers roster. I mean, if you have a player that you are trading that that costs twenty five million dollars a year, he cannot be a type of player that means that you cannot play him on the court with your two best players at the same time. Like, if your two best players can't be on the court at the same time when you're playing and you cost that much money, that seems like a problem to me. Just a little bit. Uh, and by the end of the year, his best role for the Sixers was as a backup center. They were paying $25 million to their sixth man. 
Not ideal. You can't see me shaking my head, but not ideal. And now he's gone. Uh, I can't say I bear Al Horford any ill will, but at the same time, I can live with not seeing him play basketball for the Sixers in the near future. Um, and Terrence Ferguson's just another bench guy they can give a shot at, see if he can figure out his shooting again. Uh, and Danny Green, I feel like Danny Green's reputation is better than the product that's been given the last couple of years. He's been incredibly streaky in the playoffs shooting wise. Like he'll have those nights where he looks really, really good and like is a valuable asset. And then he'll have other nights like the, what was that game four? Did the heat win in five? The heat won in six. So in game four of the, no, no, it was game five. Yeah. Game five of the finals this year where he just looks like a disaster and you're like, holy crap, why is he playing on this team? Um, and I, the Sixers don't need him to be Robert Covington or JJ Redick. They just need a guy who fits the offense better than Al Horford. And I'll get into what Josh Richardson did. Like the, he just fits the style of offense better. And obviously he's not going to make every shot, but they don't need him to, they just need him to not cripple the spacing between Embiid and Simmons. Like what happened last year. So I think this is fine for them. And again, they got rid of Al Horford in his contract. They also have a little bit of space to play with now because his contract's gone. Uh, I, I think they would still really need to get rid of Harris to put any significant dent in that, but they're not completely strapped or anything. This audio is going to sound a little weird and like Frankenstein together. Uh, my roommate walked in while I was recording some, so I had to pause it, fix something with my computer. But anyway, so I'm back. Uh, I said pretty much everything I needed to say about the Al Horford trade. Uh, you know, like I said, it was good. Um, best best for the Sixers to do that. Uh, okay, so then I'm going to end with the Josh Richardson trade. Um, so the Sixers traded... Let me pull this up. Uh, Josh Richardson and Tyler Bay, who they drafted with a 36 pick, for Seth Curry. Um... Initially, I, it's kind of funny because I was watching the draft and like I said, I don't really know. I really didn't know any of these prospects. Like I knew Anthony Edwards, LaMelo, James Wiseman and Cole Anthony. And then I'd heard the name Obi Toppin. And that was like, that was essentially my knowledge of the 2020 NBA draft. And then the Sixers picked uh, Tyrese Maxim, Tyrese something, something. Uh, that's So th it was this kid. And I was like, oh, like, what does this kid do? And one of my, I was talking to a friend of mine about it. And he was like, oh, essentially, oh, Tyrese Maxey. That's what his name was. And they were like, well, this dude essentially sounds like Josh Richardson. And I was like, well, that's weird. I don't know why they drafted Josh Richardson light when they have Josh Richardson, Richardson on the roster. And then 10 minutes later, Josh Richardson was gone. Um, so that was funny. I and this is another trade where at least initially here I don't really think anyone got fleeced uh, from Dallas's side. I, their offense was awesome last year, but their defense left a lot to be desired, certainly. And especially if KP is going to miss the start of the season like he's projected to, I think you want to get as many defenders as possible on this team just to help out. And obviously, Josh Richardson doesn't have the same impact that KP does on defense, not even close, but. He at least helps out on that perimeter, which was not exactly a strength of theirs uh, before defensively. And I think he's he's better suited for their offense, too. I mean, Josh Richardson certainly 
relies more on space than I think people expected. And then he, you know, we struggled in Philly. I mean, he was kind of misused just out of necessity. Like Brett Brown tried to use him as a backup point guard for a little bit. Uh, and then he was asked to play more like off ball and that didn't necessarily work. And then he was a little more inefficient shooting than I think he was expecting. Like all in all, Josh Richardson was a disappointment relative to what people thought he could do for the Sixers when they traded for him. Um, but I think he fit, he f- just fits a lot better in Dallas. Um, he has more, like I said, more space to work with. Um, he's not going to be essentially their main like perimeter shot creator. Obviously Luca is a little bit better than him at that. And he's going to have more time to shine on defense. Um, just again, cause he's going to need to more. Um, so I, I think this works out well for Dallas. Uh, when you have one of the most efficient offenses of all time in a really bad defense, you can sacrifice some of that offensive efficiency that you lose in Seth Curry from for more defense. Cause obviously Seth Curry is not helping anybody defensively, even if he's an incredible shooter, which then takes me to the Sixers side of it. Uh, and I love this trade for the Sixers. Um, Cause like I said, you know, Josh Richardson didn't really work out. Uh, I think I'd still rather have him than Tobias Harris, to be honest with you, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, and it, this is what people have been saying all along, right? I mean, the, the Sixers for the Sixers to work and work well, to have Embiid and Simmons coexist together, like which they do regularly. Like that's this Simmons and Embiid playing together is, has never been the problem. But if those two guys play together, you still also need guys around them that fit. And the guys that fit around them are catch and shoot three point guys that give space for Embiid to work down low and give Simmons guys to kick out to when he drives. And that's what Seth Curry is. I mean, he's, he can very much slot into this role that JJ Redick had. Um, I mean, he shot 43% from three last year. That's exactly what they need. And so looking at it, a Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Embiid roster just fits so much better together than Josh Richardson and Al Horford being in there. Obviously, they're not as talented as the roster that they had last year, but this team just fit. Like the, the identity is so much clearer with this team and they can fit together. Like they have so many guys on the wings. Now they have Thibel to add in. They have Korkmaz. They have Shake Milton. Like these guys can all coexist with their two best players. And that's really, really valuable. Um, and, you know, like JJ Redick, she, um, Seth Curry is pretty bad on defense. But again, when your defense is already as good as it is and you have Embiid and Simmons and Thibel and Harris, who's a perfectly capable defender, Danny Green's pretty good. Like, Obviously, you don't want to have a weak link, but he's going to score roughly about as many points as he's going to give up. So I think it's worth it for the Sixers. And I, so I like this deal for, again, both sides. I, I don't really think there were any trades that I saw that were like, I was like, oh, I don't like that for somebody. Like there, there was no, there was no Westbrook trade this year. Now, if they end up doing a Westbrook John Wall swap that has been talked about, then, you know, it's a different story. But until that happens, uh, I got nothing for you in terms of negative trade reactions for the most part. So that's it for today. I think it's going to be pretty short. You know, I, at the end of the day, I just, I, I wasn't invested enough in the draft part to really say anything. Um, but yeah, so I'm good with that for now. Uh, I'll probably have some NFL stuff coming up next week. Uh, Cause I'm fine. I'm coming home. So I'm going to have more time to relax and maybe put some more time into stuff I want to talk about. So we'll get right back we'll get back into the football as the CFP comes in. You know, we can talk about those rankings more. So got a lot of stuff coming up. So it'll be fun. So thanks guys for listening. As always, the SQ podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Uh, Leave a review, share with your friends, do whatever you got to do. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you next week.